Did you notice last week that the last remaining survivor of the Titanic died? Uh, her name was Melvina Dean. She died in an English nursing home at the age of 97. When the Titanic hit the iceberg that night, uh, Melvina was only nine weeks old. She survived with her mum, who threw her in a sack to safety. Uh, sadly, her dad was among the 1,500 people who died that night, which was why Melvina reckoned that she turned down an offer to attend the premiere of the movie Titanic when it first came out. She thought that that would have been too upsetting. Now, I don't know why, but hearing about Melvina and thinking about all that she'd been through, all that she'd experienced, it started me thinking about all the changes that Melvina must have seen in her life. 97 years old. The stuff she must have seen. In fact, it's precisely because of that that some people have a field day picking out all the mistakes in the movie Titanic. Uh, stuff that occurs in the movie but shouldn't be there because it just wasn't around back then. Uh, the guns that are used in the movie, the buttons on their clothes, the type of money in some of the scenes, the paintings on the wall, the maps they were using, the fact that someone is wearing acrylic nails, another person has contact lenses on, someone is smoking a filtered cigarette in one of the scenes. These are all mistakes because stuff like that just wasn't around back then. When the Titanic sailed... There was no television, no air conditioning, no refrigerators, no washing machines, no vacuum cleaners, no toasters, no clothes dryers, no microwaves, no dishwashing machines. There were a sprinkling of cars on the road, no petrol stations, no motels, no highways, no drive through meccas. There were no band-aids, no toothpaste, no instant coffee. The bra had not yet been invented. No penicillin, no stainless steel. Crossword puzzles hadn't been thought of. There was no such thing as sticky tape, Velcro, zippers, Tupperware, sand shoes. Powered flight had only just been achieved and the thought of space flight or even flying from one continent to another, that was, that was the stuff of science fiction. As for computers and iPods and internet, well, they were beyond anyone's wildest dreams. It is amazing the stuff that has happened in a lifetime. And because of that, we are so used to things changing now that we expect it. We expect the next car to have more features than the car we've got at the moment. We're expecting our next computer to be faster and more mem have more memory than the one we've got at the moment. We just expect to be able to upgrade to the next best thing when the stuff we've got wears out. And it breeds within us an expectation of improvement. Which is why this morning's Bible passage may come as a little bit of a shock to you. Because this morning we are looking at something together that can never and will never need to be upgraded. This morning we're actually looking at something that is always the best thing. What is it? Well, it's what our passage describes as a new covenant, verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you will recall that we actually looked at this covenant last week. Uh, 
What happened last week, though, was we looked at it in general terms. We sort of stood at a distance and we thought about how this new covenant fitted into the big storyline of the Bible. What I want to do this morning, though, is get a bit more up close and personal with it. I'd like us to take in some of the details of this new covenant so that we can appreciate just how good it is. Firstly, though, before we get to that... just to make sure we're all on the same page, I guess we firstly need to define what a covenant is because it's a bit of an olden days word. But simply put, a covenant is simply a contract. It's a deal. It's a formal agreement between two people. Uh, The word still gets bandied around a little bit nowadays, doesn't it? You know, if you build a house in one of the new housing estates here in Dubbo, uh, the estate will sometimes have what it calls a covenant. And it'll specify an agreement between you and your neighbours like you've got to have a certain type of fence or the house has to be brick but not fibro. It's it's an agreement between you and your neighbours and throughout history God has made agreement between himself and his people. Different contracts he's drawn up between Abraham and Moses, King David. Trouble is God's people have never been able to keep them. They've always been reneging on their part of the deal which is why God now starts to talk about the need for a new one. Verse 32. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Now, do you see the sense of frustration in God's voice there? That even though he's been keen to keep these contracts going, uh, Israel have been going back on their part of the bargain. And so here in chapter 31, God says that because of all of that, he's going to bring in a new one. He's going to bring in a whole new way of dealing with his people, a way of dealing that's different from the previous arrangements. Uh, That's why he says those funny sort of verses in verses 29 and 30, you know. In those days, people will no longer say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teach. Teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for his own sins. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. Funny little verses, aren't they? But what they're really doing is setting the scene for a new covenant, that it it is going to be new. A time is coming when the children will no longer be burdened with the past mistakes of their forefathers. A time is coming when children won't have to deal with the consequences of the sins of what their parents did. A time is coming when a whole new level playing field is going to be ushered in. Here's the thing, though. As Jeremiah now goes on and explains some of the details of this new covenant, what's going to become very obvious is that this is not just new, uh, this is very special indeed, in three particular ways. The first one being that it will involve an obedience from the heart. Verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Now, friends, we thought about this a lot last week. We thought about the fact that this is a huge promise because it addresses the core problem with each and every one of us. This addresses the problem of what, why the world is as bad as it is. It addresses the core problem that we have an evil, disobedient heart. And God says in this new arrangement, he's going to change all of that because in this new covenant, people are actually going to want to do the right thing. He's going to give them the heart to do it. 
It's a massive problem. But because we talked about it last week, I want us to keep going. I hesitate to do that. And if you weren't here last week, I don't want you to uh, get the misimpression that this thing isn't as enormous as it really is. Maybe you could listen to it on our website. But I want to press on because we talked about it last week and there's some more stuff that I'd like us to notice. For example, notice secondly that this new arrangement is going to take on a whole new intimacy with God. Verse 34. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. That's an extraordinary statement. They will all know me, from the least to the greatest. In other words, written into the terms of this new contract is the fact that God is going to willingly involve himself at a deep level with everyone. Not just special people, not just important people, not just leaders, not just the prophets. Everyone is going to have a really rich closeness with God. Everyone's going to have the same access to God, which is pretty exciting for you and I. Because remember, last week we saw that this is precisely the arrangement that exists for us at the moment. That's because Jesus brought in this new covenant with his death and resurrection the night before he died. On his way to the cross, he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And with those words, Jesus went to the cross, sacrificed himself on it, so as to bring in the terms of this covenant. When you're a follower of Jesus, you are, you are under the terms of this contract, which means that when you are a follower of Jesus, all of us know God equally from the least to the greatest. Look around the room. There is no one here who is closer to God than you are in Christ. You know, people sometimes ask, come to me and ask if I'll pray for them about certain things, which, which is really nice because we should be praying for one another. But sometimes I get the feeling that people ask me to pray for them because I'm a minister and that somehow I'm closer to God and that my telephone line, you know, is a bit more of a direct line than theirs is. That is not the case. In this new covenant, we all have equal access to God. Gone are the need for special people. Gone are the need for priests. Gone are the need for prophets. If you're here and you're Christian, you are as close to God as you possibly can get. You don't need anyone else who's supposedly closer to God to pray for you. You have as direct a line to God as, as you can get. It's a good contract, this one. A new heart to be able to obey God. A new intimacy with which to know God. For him to be with you every step of your life. There's a third detail Jeremiah wants us to see. Verse 34 again. Let's pick it up about halfway through. For they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins... No more. That's an unusual phrase, isn't it? I will remember I will remember their sins no more. Now let me tell you, that's quite unusual for God because his memory is like a steel trap. God does not forget a thing. That is what makes God so faithful. He never forgets a promise. 
he, he never uh, forgets an obligation. Things just don't slip God's mind the way they slip ours. And yet here in this new covenant is the most remarkable statement, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In other words, in this new arrangement, God declares that he will totally remove all sin from your life, every trace of it. Your lives will be washed utterly utterly clean and no matter what you have done no matter how many times you have done it no matter what you do in in the past now in the future God will remember it no more it is of course a pledge that looks forward to what Jesus does on the cross it's what Jesus achieved for his people on the cross when he brought in the terms of this covenant. Jesus took the sins of his people on himself. He took a punishment we deserve so that we could be completely, utterly forgiven. And it's all spelled out here in Jeremiah in the terms of this new contract between God and his people, which Jesus ushered in at the cross. So that if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are sitting there now in your chair and despite all the stuff that you have done wrong this week, God sees you as absolutely perfect. If you were to ask God about all the things you've messed up this past week, he would say to you, what stuff? What sin? I don't remember you committing any sin. Can you imagine the fuss if someone invented a bathroom cleaner, right? That once you clean, clean the bathroom, you know, you wipe the towels, the shower, the bath. Once you've done it all once with this cleaner, you will never have to do them again. The dirt, the soap stains, it just doesn't stick to the bathroom anymore. You will never have to get down on your hands and knees and clean another toilet bowl in your life. Man, now if someone came up with that, we would be beside ourselves, How do you reckon we ought to feel about this new covenant? Obedience from the heart, a deep, rich intimacy with God for everyone. And now sin just doesn't stick to you anymore. Complete and utter forgiveness. The stuff that we have done, he just doesn't remember it. Friends, this is just not a new covenant This is not just a revised covenant. What we are meant to see is that this is not just a latest edition covenant. This is not the next best covenant. This is the always best covenant. You're not going to get any better than this. This will never become obsolete. This is an arrangement between you and God that can never be improved on. Which is exactly why, I don't know, it's a bit of a shock, isn't it? It's not like your car. It's not like the computer. It's not like the iPod or or whatever the next best thing is going to come out at. Uh, This is an arrangement that you will simply not be able to improve of, which means that if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if you've come under the terms of this contract, you've got a state-of-the-art relationship with God. If, you're, if you follow Jesus and you're under the terms of it, you cannot get any better off spiritually than you are now. It's not going to get any better than this. It can't. Completely forgiven. Intimacy with God. A new heart. Do you realise how well off we are spiritually? 
under the terms. Isn't it nice to discover, you know, when you're better off than you thought you were? It doesn't happen all that much. But you know those rare times when you go to the auto bank and there's actually more money in the account than you thought there were? Or you put on a coat for winter for the first time of the season and there's money left in the pocket that you'd forgotten all about was there? That's fantastic when that happens. Last week, along with the story of that Titanic survivor, there was also the story of a 73-year-old grandmother who was cleaning out the the drawers in the bedroom and discovered a four-year-old Powerball ticket in an envelope. Her husband told her that it was too old and just to throw it out. But like any wise wife does, she ignored her husband's advice, uh, rang up New South Wales Lottery... It was worth $2 million. For the last four years, they had been millionaires. They didn't even know it. (laughs) It's a great feeling to discover that you're better off than you thought you were. And that's what I'm shooting for this morning for us as we read this passage. Forget monetary. Spiritually, we are way better off than maybe sometimes we realise. Because this covenant that Jesus has brought in, this is state of the art. This is always going to be state of You cannot get better than this. Friends, there is no spiritual experience you have to chase in order to get closer to God. There is no spiritual gift you need to have in order to be get closer to God than you already are in Jesus. There are no rituals. There are no rules you have to observe. There is, there is no one here for you to be envious of. There is no one here for you to be intimidated by. In Jesus Christ, we enjoy state-of-the-art connection with God. So open your eyes to that. Can you enjoy it? Can you breathe it in? Make use of it. You can draw near to God with absolute confidence. There is nothing. I don't care what sort of day you're having. There is nothing you cannot talk to God about. And I don't care what sort of day. There is nothing he cannot help you with. And there is nothing he cannot forgive you for. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Friends, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, they are the terms of the contract. That's phenomenal. 